0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Great to be with you heading into the weekend. I hope everybody's ready to have a great weekend. And uh, it's a little hot, a little hot in different places, so be careful out there. Uh, We've got a couple of great guests. Excuse me. We've got a couple of great guests today. Uh, One man we've had on before, Brandon Weikert, is going to talk about the threat of China. There's a lot happening with China. We're distracted by a lot of things. And then we'll also speak with a candidate for Congress about um, why he's running and especially why election integrity is one of the key issues and so that will be interesting and so well listen let me let me um set up what i think is the most important issue right now that we be understanding that we understand at this point and it has to do with the power of big tech. So, you know, and I will, by the way, get to Maricopa County. I want to address that a little bit with you because uh, I was over in Phoenix in Maricopa County uh, when the audit uh, results came out. I have some things to say on that. It's pretty incredible what what we saw. But before we get to that, because it's related, well, let me set this up. Maricopa County, 10 a.m. West Coast time hearing, one o'clock East Coast on a Wednesday, uh, excuse me, on a Thursday, Okay, Thursday. So it's not a Friday. Nobody's on vacation yet. Nobody's on the weekend yet. And there was almost no coverage of the mainstream media, anybody. Now, what did they say in the audit? They didn't say that they had definitive proof that someone stole the election. But they did have definitive facts that, for example, there were thousands, tens of thousands of ballots that had been submitted that weren't requested which is brings a question of why they had um, ballots that looked like they were multiply, scanned multiple times. They had ballots, uh, excuse me, uh, voters who were put on the voter rolls on October 15th and taken off on November 15th. In other words, put on 15,000 votes, taken off 15,000 and they voted. And the one thing I didn't like, or I thought would have been better is that the auditors had been willing or able to say how the votes broke. So but when they, you know, in other words, 79,000 votes uh, that appeared to have been sent out absentee ballots that weren't requested, then how did those vote? You know, so could you because it was 79,000, it was split 50 50 doesn't change an election. Right. But my point here is after all this time, the media didn't cover what was definitive facts, which brings me to the next point and brings me to the biggest point and what you need to know. The narrative machine that we talk so often about, which I call that's what I call it, is big tech, big media and big government working together to make sure that what they tell you the truth is you have to think it's the truth. So I called my wife uh, earlier today, early Friday morning, uh, Friday, midday her time. And I said, did you see the Maricopa thing? She said, no, I didn't see any of it. She watches t- enough TV, enough news, looks at enough Internet, no coverage. And so my, back to my point, big tech, big media and big government. So you say, well, I can see that the big tech guys uh, don't seem to be covering it. You know, it wasn't streaming. YouTube wouldn't allow it to be streamed this hearing and the big media is not covering. Where's big government fit in? Well, one way on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, uh, the the Arizona state senators were getting letters from the Department of Justice saying, we're looking into what you're doing. You better be careful. He's like, whoa, that's that's a significant thing. If you're a state senator, that's a significant message. You know, we're looking into what you're doing. Be careful what you're doing. But here's the most telling thing this week. From the lectern, in the White House, Jen Psaki spoke not once but twice about what the plan is, what big government is doing to silence its citizens. And so she first said, we know that 65% of all the misinformation defined by her, defined by the White House, but the misinformation about health, that's COVID and the pandemic and the lockdowns and everything else, Psaki said, we know that there's about a dozen Influencers that are making the biggest impact, and we're going to give that list to Facebook and ask them to silence them. So you say, "Holy cow! You're kidding me? Like, is this is this really happening? I mean, are we under the Alien and Sedition Act, so the early part of our country where we're going to use government to enforce, you know, say who is lying and who is not telling the truth?" By the way, I'm saying that so that you realize there is a tradition for this. This isn't totally unheard of, even in American life, to see government being used against we the people on speech. We fought through it. We thought we had more freedom. But, but Jen Psaki said we have 12 people, 12 influencers, 12 websites, it may be that are the most influential in what the White House says is misinformation. We're going to give it to Facebook. And then from the lectern, a separate a, a separate um, interaction. Psaki says we're going to expect that the other platforms, if they realize that, you know, one of the, one of the big platforms is Facebook is silencing these people for misinformation, they should all do it. So now you have the White House Press Secretary or the Communications Director, I forget her title, Jen Psaki, explaining how they intend to, to, again, to enforce their definition of information. By the way, what is misinformation? Was Fauci lying to us misinformation? Was the Wuhan virus, the Wuhan lab people, the WHO lying to us misinformation? Or is that information just used conveniently? You know against us or used conveniently to mislead us because they know better think about the power and the scope of what you're seeing and now realize is there anything that we know now as truth that is not assigned to us by the powers that be big tech big media big government another example that popped up in the last 24 hours the united states attorney the top federal prosecutor in Delaware decided he decided that he was not even though they were ready to go to uh, to grand juries and to subpoenas for Hunter Biden. They knew they had probable cause. They were ready to go forward. He decided we're not going to do anything. We're going to sit on that until after the election because it would be distracting. Tell it to George W. Bush when they dropped his drunk driving record, you know, the weekend before. Remember that? But the more importantly, who's in charge? Who who's in charge of what we know, because Hunter Biden's laptop was not only silenced by the, the big tech who said New York Post, we're going to kill that article. It was also then. Remember, there was a letter from John Brennan, who was the former head of intelligence for the United States of America. And he wrote a letter and he signed it with other people. And they said, this has all of the indications of Russi- Russian disinformation, the, the Hunter Biden story. He was totally wrong, like he's been over and over, but he was totally effective at helping to keep the American people from realizing that we didn't just have a Billy Carter situation where the guy liked to drink beer and decided to start a beer company. And that's Billy, Jimmy Carter's brother. After he was president, we had somebody who had an ongoing relationship with foreign entities to the tune of tens of millions, hundreds of millions, billions. I don't know. Billions sounds a little high, but whatever it is, it could be wrong on the total number. we have that and and it was silenced what we know and what our citizens know what our fellow men and women know as true is being defined not by you know a spirited open dialogue where people consider different things no you're only going to hear a few voices you're only going to know a few things and if you get off of the narrative if you start to crack the narrative You will be targeted. You'll be targeted by the prosecutors. You'll be targeted by the uh, White House. You'll be targeted by Facebook. I told you I was in Arizona. I spent some time with Floyd Brown, who runs an an entity called Liftable Media, which has a bunch of clients, but one of the most famous is Western Journal. And Western Journal in the 2014, 15, 16 period figured out how to use Facebook. It's a really interesting story. It was some young people, uh, Floyd Brown's son, actually, and his, his roommate from college knew how to use Facebook to drive people from Facebook to the website Western Journal. Western Journal was receiving a billion, with a B, page views per month in 2016. And one day, Facebook changed their algorithm and Liftable Media, Western Journal, lost 90% of its business. The algorithm changed. Now, the algorithm changing, it's it's a private business. You can do what you want, I suppose. The question is when government works together with the big tech and big media to, to define what we know. That should be scary to everybody. And we're seeing more and more public indications that they're not going to be particularly uh, coy about it. They're not going to be particularly circumspect. You know, you probably wonder to yourself, you know, was the CIA or was the FBI or was the, uh, you know, the forces in government influencing the, the NBC evening news in the 1980s? Probably trying to. But that's different than right now where we're seeing such a dominance in controlling what we know and what we see, and therefore what we believe and what we do, this this, this power is a threat to the republic. That's 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 clear now. And that's what we've seen. And that's what you need to know. All right. Uh, we've got a couple of great guests today. As I mentioned, we're going to talk to a candidate for U.S. Congress. We'll see what he says on election integrity. And we also will catch up, uh, and very important, with our friend Brandon Weicker. While we're talking about all these other things, China's getting ready to eat our lunch and maybe uh, destroy our nation. So we'll talk to them. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com to follow up on all these and sign up for The Daily win. Be right back. welcome back welcome back ed martin here on the pro america report our old friend brandon weikert is with us brandon weikert he's almost become a correspondent of the show now at this point he is uh he is a regular guest he has written a book winning space how america remains a superpower and um you know uh brandon i'm going around the country i spent some time in um, arizona this week and i'm out in california uh up in northern california and i hear whenever there's a conversation on china I, i talk about your book because it's helped me understand things so much but i do think one I want to ask Is you one car- thing just in, well, no, you, it's a very helpful and you did a great job. And by the way, for everybody that um, that uh, hasn't tracked it down, it's um, get, anywhere you go find books, you'll find it. It's um, Republic Book Publishers publishes it. So but, Brandon, you know, I want to ask a question about, you know, as a po- as a guy who understands policy and writes about it. Yeah you you must watch the sort of ebb and flow of attention right so you know yeah. in your world if you're looking at china you're like um okay well, i see things that are happening in china that make me really worried about you know taiwan and yet the americans are worried about i don't know you know everything else in the hot summer sun and right. and as a matter of the policy um Does that cause it's got to cause a problem, right? Because you're trying to make an argument about what needs to be done. And if the public's not looking, a lot of the public policymakers aren't looking, right?
2: That's right. Or they can't get the kind of support they need to push through their agenda. And and remember, in in the in the 1990s, there was a group of people in the intelligence community who were trying to get both the Democrats and Republicans to pay attention to Al Qaeda and the intelligence and the the counter the, the terrorist threat. But they couldn't break through, and it took 9-11, unfortunately, for people to start paying attention. And so you sometimes have a threat that isn't well understood by our uh, elected people and by our voters. Therefore, the, the system doesn't recognize that threat until it's too late. And that's what I'm afraid of happening, not just with China generally, but with our strategic interests in space. And, um, you know, it's, it's very, I was just in Washington, D.C. yesterday, I live in Florida, I just got back, and I was uh, talking to a group of Air Force and Space Force people, and um, it, it's very surprising how uh, very few people understand or want to acknowledge the severity of the threat. Partly because they're worried that they'll be labeled uh, racist or that they'll be anti-Asian if they recognize China as a strategic competitor, or that they're worried that they're going to offend the sensibilities of notably liberal members of Congress and the Biden administration. It's very bizarre, and it's it's certainly self-destructive. And so, to your to your question, uh, you know, it is very painful to see the China threat where we don't focus on it, but China, guess what? All they do is focus on us. That's all the Chinese regime Mm -hmm. thinks about in terms of their foreign policies. How do we beat the Americans in whatever field you want to look at? And we don't. And it's a problem.
1: I, again we're talking with uh brandon weikert and uh and we are um his book of course which i've just told you about is um available anywhere you get books i'm looking at it right now we're winning space how america remains a superpower um brandon first of all a little order a little business uh why not on the air um if you get to dc again i live in northern virginia i have an office on capitol hill so get in touch earlier i'd love to uh, visit with you in person and yeah and talk talk more um but so uh By the way, I don't want to lose the thread. I know you commented on, maybe wrote about, um, uh, I think it was a comment on Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson going to space and whether that's good or bad to have private industry. But before, I want to stick on China for one second. Is... um, is the threat of China, d- does it really matter to them who's president? I-, I don't mean to be too glib, but do they just think to themselves, you pick a president, we'll adjust to it? I mean, or are they, uh, did, was Trump a problem for them? Was, it, was, it, was he actually a barrier to what they were doing? What, uh, does, I, I, I don't mean to be too silly about right. it, because a, lo- a lot of presidents in the Soviet era, they didn't care who was president. They just kept working right. them. That, and then Reagan made a difference. Is that, it, yeah. Do they care who's president?
2: They they Well, Trump made them care. Uh, so basically from Nixon until um, Obama, uh, the Chinese had spent a considerable amount of time and money, and the, and the Russians have as well, uh, kind of figuring out the different quirks of the American system and how to manipulate it and how to manage perception and how to basically get what they want, regardless of which party's in power. With Trump, mm-hmm. it was different. Because Trump didn't come from the political class. So they didn't he didn't have I mean he ultimately hired a lot of people from the political class to to his detriment, I think. But initially Trump was very hard to read because even the people he was relying on were not the usual suspects from the Republican Party establishment. So it did matter. And particularly the trade war really upset the balance with China. Trump won the trade war in terms of the the soybean and the agricultural products. Um, And I argue, actually, that that's one of the reasons why COVID-19 afflicted us is because I think once it got out from wherever it got out from in China, the Chinese regime was not compelled to uh, lock the country down. And in fact, they wanted to let the disease get out as a punishment to the Americans because they knew the Americans would not be able to lock down the way their authoritarian system could to prevent the spread. And I think that... So Trump was very, very dangerous to them. And I think that's why they were so happy to see him go, uh, because Trump was taking China on. He was calling it a threat. He was doing—he wasn't just calling it a threat. Remember, George W. Bush initially called them a threat. But Trump was actually acting on the rhetoric— In the trade realm, in an area where the Americans had basically surrendered for 40 years, Trump was acting on it. He was acting on it in space. The the announcement of Space Force and the robust NASA program that Trump gave NASA to go back to the moon and try to get to Mars with, with people, that was all because... Of China. And if you read the National Security Council documents from the time, if you read the White House Space Council documents from the Trump administration, there are explicit references to China. So Trump was taking them off.
1: Uh, again, we're talking with Brandon Weikert, and uh, Brandon's a book which you need to get and have on your bookshelf, and go back and re- and, and read, and then uh, refer to. But also uh, check him out where he's writing or commenting other places. Winning Space: How America Remains a Superpower. A Republic Book Publishers, one of my favorite publishers, uh, publishes him. All right, so let's talk Bezos and Branson. Is it a good yeah. and Elon Musk? Is it a good thing that we have these guys racing to space? I and I don't. I'm totally, totally summarizing almost without even remembering where i read it but one of the fears is you can't do it all from the private sector you've got to lead from the government too it, it, what's your sense of this is this all a good thing or what's how do you how do you you're
2: break it out getting, yeah you're probably getting that sentiment from winning space because that's basically a large chunk of my book where i'm talking about you, you know how we built silicon valley contrary to what my libertarian friends think It wasn't a private sector libertarian utopia. It was U.S. tax dollars, courtesy of the Defense Department mostly, in the 40s and 50s, saying there's a lot of new technologies we want to build out, but we don't really know how to do it well, so we're going to take the one thing we have a lot of, which is tax dollars, and we're going to build the infrastructure for high-tech R&D, research and development, and that'll get venture capital in the private sector to buy in, and they'll innovate off of those platforms. And that's how you had Silicon Valley, the telecommunications revolution, the personal computing revolution, uh, DARPA net, which became internet. It was a public-private co-op. and. Uh, Uh, Basically, uh, that's what China's doing today with their high-tech R&D. And so you're right, and the critics are right, to say you can't leave it all to the private sector. There's a few different reasons why. One is because they'll never be able to do it on their own, not the way that a a public-private cooperation can, but also Mm -hmm. because you don't want the private sector to start claiming space and basically boxing out the nation states. But at the same time, as I write in the National Review... Because the United States government has, since the 1990s, systematically dismantled its federal budget uh, budget for research and development, we have no Mm -hmm. choice
1: but to rely. I'm sorry. No, no. Yeah, I said, uh huh? No, I'm listening. Keep going. we, We
2: we have we have no choice but to rely on our private sector to sort of be the leader, the silver bullet in this horrible, dangerous. Space and Technology war with China and if we do and, and by the way this is this is what happened in the previous century this is what happened in the 19th century you know basically the government let the railroad companies kind of develop the infrastructure in the 19th century that linked the East Coast of the United States to the Wild West, and that's how we helped to tame the West. That's how we have a continent-sized American superpower today. And something similar, I argued, in the National Review needs to happen, where we we give the kind of government umbrella of support and and resources to any and all American or Western uh, based private space startups, not just the Boeings and the Lockheed's of the world, but Virgin Galactic, SpaceX, Blue Origin, Bigelow Aerospace, and we say to them, You're gonna do it under our flag, but you're gonna be the, 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 the kind of the front runner in developing space for the United States and they're going to beat the Chinese for us. And that's how we're going to win the future. And if we do that, then, you know, geopolitical strategy always says the flag follows trade. Inevitably, as the new human-based market in space, the space mining, space tourism, reusable launch vehicle uh, markets are created over the next 20 years, inevitably Space Force and the U.S. military will have to follow and secure those critical orbits and choke points. And so, We need that cooperation. So the critics are right to say we can't leave it all to the private sector because they can't do it all. But the critics are wrong in that we can't also start coming down on SpaceX, for instance, and denying them launch permits. For their very radical, uh, you know, reusable launch watches out of concern for safety. We're in a race with China. China doesn't have any qualms about safety. So we need to beat right. them. And part of beating right. them is letting the private sector run wild.
1: Hmm. Very good. Well, listen, Brandon Weikert, I hope and pray that your voice continues to arise. I see you quoted more and more uh, the book, Brandon uh, J. Weikert. It's called Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, Republic Book Publishers. It's such an important issue. It feels to me like it's the center of uh, back in the old days. My late boss, the late, great Phyllis Schlafly, was writing about Star Wars oh, yeah. and about the necessity yeah. to have military superiority. It's not just about having fun stuff in outer space. It's about America being a superpower because we're uh, you know, no matter what people say we're a benign superpower we are about giving people more and having the world be better there are some really malign superpowers out there that if they're in control of space uh, we're in big trouble so thanks very much That's brandon right. i appreciate it thank you all right everybody we'll take a break and don't forget you can go over to proamericalreport.com all these great interviews brandon's got four or five or six of them in the last year or two and you can listen to them and get yourself educated we'll take a break everybody be right back ed martin here on a pro america report back in a moment Welcome back, everybody. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. It's not too early. It's not too early to start talking to. We're not, you know, getting to election time. It's still at least for Congress. It's a, you know, a year and three or four months away, but it's not too early to start talking to some people that are running and they're thinking about these issues. And so I'm really excited to have our next guest on. His name is Mike Cargile, and Mike Cargile is running for Congress. His district is the 35th District uh in california and he uh he it's uh, includes uh, pomona i'll forget some but um it's an inland empire they call it pomona chino i don't know ontario a bunch of places and so his district is a big sprawling district he'll tell us a little bit about his opponent first when we start uh but first of all welcome mike uh, how are you welcome to the program mike mike cargile and i'll put his website up on social media so you can track him down it's cargile for com. welcome sir
0: well thank you so much ed for having me on i appreciate this
1: so give me give me, give me, me 90 seconds, 30, 60 seconds on the district, the 35th district, so people hear it. And then I want to get on and talk about some issues that you care about, and so do I. So tell us
0: about the district and the current incumbent. Sure. My district covers from Pomona to Fontana. It's a, I think it's the greatest district in California. At one end, I have the Fairplex the greatest drag strip in the country. At the other end, I have a NASCAR track, the Auto Club Speedway. Right in between, I have an international airport. And you tell me what kind of people are <laughs> drag racing and NASCAR. Wow. Um, a lot of hard working blue-collar people. I have four churches that have 10,000-plus members in it. My wow. opponent is Norma Torres. She is the only Central American in Congress. She is a Guatemalan socialist. I also have learned that I think she is the reason our southern border is like it is. I think everything right now flows through the 35th District of California. Hmm. Well, all right, let's I, – I, and we'll learn more about
1: that. And I, I will tell you, I think anybody who's in office, both parties, uh, is in trouble because it's a drain-the-swamp election. People are just so sick of the people in power. They, If you're a Republican you're in power, they don't believe you did enough or do enough. If you're a Democrat in power, they see what the heck you're doing or your party's doing. They can't believe it. But, Mike, I want to talk to you. We're talking with Mike Cargyle and Car, his district, again, excuse me, his website is uh, Cargyle for Congress. Let me make sure I got it right. Did I get it right? Cargile you for Congress.com. Uh, so you got a P. Uh, that ran a few uh, 10 days ago uh an opinion piece and it's um it's uh let's see california globe and i'll put it up californiaglobe.com but uh title is election integrity lawsuit is the key to restoring america walk me through i think this is look i think it's the number one issue we're not going to have an election if we don't restore integrity and confidence so tell me what you what you're seeing and what you why you think it matters
0: well ed It is the issue in the United States. I don't think there's any more issue more important than election integrity, because out of election integrity, we get the leaders who are creating these backward laws, and we didn't elect them. They were selected by a fraudulent process. So it doesn't matter whether we're talking about the economy, we're talking about finance, we're talking about energy, whether we're talking about international policy. Everything springs from election integrity, and the people who are running this country were not put there by we the people. So this is the issue. There is nothing more important right now than election integrity. But I'm part of a lawsuit with the the group that is called The Election Integrity Project, California. I joined with... 12 other congressional candidates, and that gives us standing in a unique way in a federal suit we filed in the Central District in California. This is the most important lawsuit dealing with the most important issue in the country. Because this suit, unlike any other suit, is targeting the laws and regulations in California that enable voter fraud. And when I say that, I can't overstate this, because California is driving the nation politically. The Speaker of the House, California. The Minority Leader, California. The tie-breaking vote in the Senate, California. Every bad aspect of HR1, which is also one <laughs> from California. Right, right. But here's, yeah. here's the thing, Ed. If we can fix California, we fix the country. And in doing so, probably save the world. And we are the only lawsuit in the state dealing with election integrity. But you know what, Ed? We're being attacked by both parties. This lawsuit is no friend of either party. I, I, I characterize it like this. I say election integrity is like cancer. Everybody says they want to cure cancer, but in reality, nobody wants to cure cancer because there's so much money made treating it. It's the same way with election integrity. Both parties say, oh, we want fair and transparent elections. But in reality, that robs them of the power to dictate the outcome. They don't want to trust we, the people, with the outcome of our own elections. So we're getting hammered, and it's not a direct assault. It's not a frontal assault. We're having big-name Republicans underrates on the idea of election integrity and what they're doing is targeted they're siphoning off the resources we need for our legal team because we're right. on the cusp of discovery and we're well into discovery <clears throat> go
1: ahead Oh, well, and this is important. I want, I want to come back to one thing. I've been telling people for a long time, and I happen to be a lawyer too, but this is why I think you're, it's insightful, and, and you guys have been smart. The, one of the reasons the courts did not look at a lot, of the, um, a lot of the cases is they said, well, no one has standing to be damaged. It's too late. The system played out. And what you guys are doing is saying, wait, we're actually candidates. So a candidate has an interest that gives them standing to be in the fray. So tell me, when you say it's, it's, it's a pre- previous um, candidates it, over the last years, is it all people that ran in the past, or is it current? Because you're filed to run, too, so you've got some standing that way, but you also ran in the past. I mean, who, who else is in the group that's running, just to give people a sense of, of the, the breadth of the people interested?
0: Well, most of the people on this suit, and they can go to our site and read about every single one of the plaintiffs. We build a site for us. It's called fairandtransparentelections.com. The acronym is FATE, because I truly believe it is the fate of our nation. This lawsuit, com. I've got Eric Early, James Bradley, uh, Chris Bish, uh, Johnny Malbany, there's a whole bunch of names that ran in California. But this solves the issue, because you know, as an attorney, there's a ripe moot characterization they apply to cases. Was it is it ripe enough? Well, there hasn't been damages, so they don't see it. That's what the Supreme Court did but we right. satisfied both aspects. I was potentially uh, damaged in the past, and if these laws are allowed to stay in place, I will be uh, disenfranchised in the future. so right. it solves both both issues um, yeah here 's the thing you, you Our legal team is brilliant. And they stayed out of, we want to overturn the November 2020, or we, we want to specifically look at aspects. What we've asked right. the court is to that we have, we have thousands and thousands of signed affidavits that they saw things that didn't seem right. So we've asked the court, can we please see the machines? We want to do a forensic audit of the machines and the ballots. And if this fraud is indeed there, we're asking the court to overturn the laws and regulations right. that enable right. And that right. is
1: hey, why this yeah, is the court yeah mm-hmm. no that's good yeah no mike i'm out of time unfortunately listen what i want to do though is mike again it's mike Cargyle, who's running for congress that's secondary though in my opinion to this important issue so we'll get you back on again and and while i want to get a bigger a, a, a bigger download i'll do another segment on it cargile for com to find out about him in fact more important to me now it's fair and transparent i think you're really onto something i want to follow up but i got to run right now everybody uh thank you mike and we got to take a quick break and be right back it's ed martin here on a pro america
0: report we'll be back in a moment this is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin.
1: Embracing the mantra of never letting a good crisis go to waste, politicians have been using COVID-19 as a vehicle to expand their power since its very beginning. First it was lockdowns, then it was mask mandates, and now it's mandatory vaccines. Mercifully, Lockdowns and mask mandates are ending in most regions of the United States. But let's not forget that other countries have overcome COVID without these compulsory measures, which means we don't really know what helped defeat the pandemic. Our COVID casualty rate, after all, exceeds that of some of the other poorer countries, which chose not to take a totalitarian approach. Despite all the attention on solutions for fighting the pandemic, including vaccinations, the U.S. military has decided not to require vaccination of its servicemen. Meanwhile, Delta Airlines announced that it's requiring vaccination of all new hires, but not current employees. Even many employees of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention declined to take the vaccines themselves. More than 30% of Americans remain skeptical of the COVID vaccines, and many plan not to receive it. Ohio has turned to using its lottery to induce more to be vaccinated, while Walmart is offering cash payments to employees. Anheuser-Busch is even promising beer for those who are vaccinated. At the end of the day, COVID is no reason for conservatives to throw out the governing principles we've always embraced. Personal liberty should be our highest value. Whether it's lockdowns, masks, or vaccines, we need to trust that each American citizen will make the right choices for their own families. Of course, with this liberty comes a great deal of responsibility. Everyone should do the research to make an informed decision. However, the last thing America needs is overreaching politicians and bureaucrats trying to force their preferred choice down the throats of everyone else. All too often, that kind of tyranny only steals the American people against whatever it is the government is trying to force. COVID may be something that this generation has never encountered before, but the principles of liberty are made for all seasons. Instead of throwing them out when the going gets rough, Americans should cling to them all the more tightly.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. If you're busy taking notes, you can stop now because these commentaries in written form and spoken audio are archived on the website phyllisschlafly.com, many recorded by Mrs. Schlafly herself. If you're doing research or missed a day, just go to phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and re listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. And we have to wrap up as we head into the weekend. And let me encourage you again. We talked a little bit about this story earlier, but I want to draw some more parallels. Understand that your values, my values, conservative, I don't know, traditional values are under assault. And by the way, if you go over to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, you can see lots of these interviews with folks. One example is Abigail Schreier. Abigail Schreier is an author, and she wrote for the Wall Street Journal. I've talked about her a few times in the last week or two. And she wrote over at the... Um Wall Street Journal for a while and was well regarded as a reporter. I think she was considered somewhat conservative, but she was a reporter. Well, she wrote a book and the book we've talked about a bunch of times is called, uh, it's about transgenderism. It's about her assessment of transgenderism and the damage it's doing to girls specifically. That's specifically what she says. In fact, in the book, which I've read a couple times actually, or at least parts of it. I read the book once completely, but I read parts of it again. She um, refers to um, the damage it does. And she says, I have friends That are transgender I'm not a particularly uh, hard Excuse me, conservative on this And she's very interesting Anyway, the book is called Irreversible Damage The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters And as we talked about at the beginning of the show We have Jen Pisaki the uh, communications director, or maybe she's the spokesperson. I always get that wrong. But anyway, she's the leading voice of the White House, who is saying in the last few days, not only do they have a list of uh, people that they want to give to Facebook to say, block these people from telling information. We think it's misinformation. And uh, by the way... That Now, Pasaki said, as I mentioned, we should silence them on other platforms. Well, another example of how this silencing is occurring is um, the an experience of Abigail Schreier, which we've talked about. But there's another wrinkle to it. In the last few days, it has been reported that Amazon employees have been petitioning their employer. And a few of them have quit over the fact that Amazon carries this book. Remember uh, when... There was a hullabaloo over Josh Hawley's book, which was supposed to come out from either Simon and Schuster or Penguin or somebody, a big book publisher. And after January 6th, he was uh, supposedly so bad that they dropped him. And, uh, but here's the thing. You don't have to actually, and I've told you this over and over, you don't actually have to have the government suppress speech if you have an increasingly intolerant uh, environment for speech to exist, So, if you have Amazon employees protesting, you have uh, big publishing houses deciding not to publish a U.S. senator who they contracted with, et cetera, et cetera. You get to a certain point where everybody, as I said, starts self-selecting. It's a kind of self-censorship that is meant to silence people, and so that's what we're seeing. And and you know, it's easy for me to say, uh, and and maybe it's easy for all of us to say. I'm from a radio show, and you, hey, let's just raise our voices. But a lot of people can't afford to do that. And I told you, I've been traveling this uh, last couple of weeks with General Flynn and hearing people come up and tell him stories and and watching what they're saying. And um, people are confused, if not frightened, by the power of the media to silence people. And they're relieved to see someone like General Flynn speak the truth. And I'm a little rambling here. It's the end of the show and we're going into the weekend. But it reminds me of being in Maricopa County on Thursday and seeing the hearings, watching them. I wasn't attending them. I watching them and then watching very little reported about it. And uh, again, in the world I know, if you get a state senator, in this case, there were two of them who present evidence of a an audit. In general, that's not sort of like Ed Martin throwing on his radio show a few ideas of what he thinks should have happened or could have happened. It's kind of got enough uh, credibility that it would it would cause the media to cover it differently than just ignoring it. But that didn't happen. That didn't happen. And so I guess back to my point is we you don't have to you're seeing the overlap. You're not just seeing um, you're not just seeing government say you quiet down over there, although there's some of that. But you're seeing the overlap where government is saying we're going to target. We're going to tell big tech who the who the misinformation purveyors are. And then we're going to ask them to shut them down. Remember, remember what my example is not my example. Remember my description of the narrative machine. It's big tech, which is changing our brains with neuroscience. Very powerful. Big media, which is brainwashing us with technology derived from the intelligence community. And also, finally, it is the um, uh, big government. And in this case, you see big government, Jen Psaki, telling people, you have to do this where this is what we're going to expect to have happen. It's an extraordinary thing to be at this point and to realize all that's happening. And we have a ton to worry about and to be concerned about. But part of it is identifying the problem and realizing what the problem is. And when you know what the problem is, you can then move on from there. So it is um, it's something. Anyway, I put it up on social media. Uh, Listen, everybody have a great weekend. Pardon me. We're going into a. Hot summer week, weekend. A lot of California is really hot. There's going to be some California fires. A lot of the rest of the country is in the uh, dog days of summer. So be careful out there. Drink lots of water. And, uh, and everybody have a great weekend. Don't forget, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and sign up for the daily wink when you're there, daily email that goes out, and also listen to these great uh, interviews that we've been doing with so many great folks. So, uh, today's were especially good. Enjoy them immensely. So uh, thank you, as always, to our great producer, Noah Dingley, uh, who does a great job for me and for Andrea Kay, excuse me, and so many others. Thank you to Joanna for booking our guests. If you have recommendations on guests, go to ProAmericaReport.com, send me an email through there, and we will look at it. So uh, have a great weekend, everybody. God bless America, and keep on fighting. It's Ed Martin on the Pro America Report. I will be back next week.